Hello, everyone. I'm Eli Phillips. And I am David Dykus. And this is You Scared of This Shit, a weekly podcast where we watch every episode of Nickelodeon's 90s horror series, Are You Afraid of the Dark, and then talk about them for you and us. For everyone, really. This is really our gift to the world. Yeah, this is our legacy. Sorry, world. <laughs> this is sad. Uh, so we watch every episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? And so far we have watched 11 of the original 13 episodes. And today we're watching the 12th, The Tale of the Prom Queen, which was directed by Jean-Marie Camo and written by Chloe Brown, who wrote last week's episode as well, The Tale of the Dark Music. I consider The Tale of the Dark Music to be the scariest episode we've seen so far, so I'm pretty excited to have two of hers in a row. Yes. Chloe has written several episodes of the show, and you never quite know what you're going to get with her, but when she's on, she's she's really on. Yeah, it's been of a, a bit of a mixed bag with her. Um, I thought The Tale of the Nightly Neighbors was pretty good. Um, I enjoyed The Tale of the Super Specs, even though it wasn't particularly scary. Um, I thought The Tale of the Twisted Claw was boring. I think you liked that one better than I did. But she's done, uh, she's done, I would say, more good episodes than bad so far. So I, I'm pretty hopeful about this. We do get a new director, new name, Jean-Marie uh, Camot, and definitely a new directing style, as we'll see. Yeah, this is a pretty different episode, um, which would kind of make sense also, because this is actually the second Kristen episode. Kristen's going to be telling our story tonight, and Kristen's last episode was, I would say, sort of a... Uh, a standout and not maybe in the best way please eli let's not mince words her last story was the tale of the hungry hounds which as we have mentioned several times was the worst episode of the show so far i actually thought when we were watching the show, the episode jake and the leprechaun i actually wondered if i was going to end up liking it less than the tale of the hungry hounds because of how weird it was but the more time that has uh passed since watching jake and the leprechaun the more i've come to love it and the more time that has passed since The Tale of the Hungry Hounds, the happier I am that that much time has passed. Because I am that much closer to forgetting The Tale of the Hungry Hounds. But this week is a Kristen episode, The Tale of the Prom Queen, so let's jump right into that. Ugh, alright. The episode starts with a shot of the woods, sort of the trail that leads up to the, uh, the fire pit, the fire circle where the kids tell their stories. And from around a corner comes a figure of some kind someone who looks like they're dressing as a ghost for halloween just a human figure draped in like white sheets and yeah we see the midnight society sitting around the campfire just doing all the most mundane things you could think of they're bored eric is eating a sandwich one of the things that's happening is they're complaining about the fact that Kristen is late again uh, i think eric specifically complains and of course david comes to Kristen's defense since they sort of have a bit of a romance she's still not here like you're surprised she's always late She'll be here. She's got a great story. So I did like seeing that small character moment, but otherwise the kids are just being bored while a ghost very, very slowly walks towards them. This is yet another one of those like characteristics that they're imposing on the Midnight like a member of the Midnight Society without us ever actually seeing it. We're told, oh, Kristen's always late. No, she was late in the episode. She was late in her last episode because she was bringing her dog uh, Elvis with her. Oh, yeah, you're right. So there is a little bit of consistency here. Yeah, so if we're if we're only taking what we've seen into context, she will have been late for, I guess, two of the 11 episodes so far. And both times with pretty good reason. Like, by now they should know that if Kristen's late, it's because she's doing something strange, like dressing up as a ghost. By the way, the ghost is Kristen. Like dressing up as a ghost or bringing a hound dog to the story with her um this is her gimmick and i kind of respect her for having a gimmick more than anyone else like at least she has that going for her which is pretty interesting 
So anyway, she very theatrically starts off her story, The Tale of the Prom Queen. My tale is one of woe. Yeah, she's talking like a ghost. She's she's saying, I'm here to tell you a story. And everyone looks, at best, mildly amused by this. We open on a graveyard in the middle, in broad daylight. Yep. We watch a woman take flowers to her grave. We're given very little context for any of this, and we get a, a sequence that goes on for about six hours of point-of-view shots wandering around a graveyard. It's a little long and drawn out, setting the mood of how big this graveyard is. And in the background, we keep hearing these cackling, evil laughter. Yeah, there's some sort of, like, male figure somewhere in the graveyard, and he's laughing pretty maniacally, I would say. If you ever played the game Donkey Kong Country 2, uh, it sounds like the evil puffy pirate shirt that attacks you and goes and then runs away <laughs> and I was like what the fuck is she about to be attacked by a puffy pirate shirt is it gonna throw some barrels at her or maybe a big cartoon bee has Kristen finally done it <laughs> but no we're we're led to believe there's some sort of trickster spirit haunting this enormous graveyard and in a way we're not wrong <laughs> whoa Joe we're not ghosts relax we are introduced to our two young buttheads. <laughs> well, one of them is a butthead. Uh, the girl, Dee Dee, uh, is wandering around the graveyard, and she is... I almost said attacked. She's startled. She is startled by a pair of boys. One named Greg, who's like a level-headed 90s guy, and the other is this episode's butthead, Jam. His name is Jam, as in, like, J-A-M. And he is this like 18 year old prick that looks like Anakin Skywalker I said that he looked like uh, recent pictures of a very haggard Macaulay Culkin neither of these like young males knows the girl they have just like provoked her out of the blue how would you how would you describe their uh, their attempts at humor here yeah they're like they're you know discussing with her the fact that they're all in a graveyard and they're like ooh maybe there's a ghost and they're just like teasing her but in this sort of weird vaguely bullying way we didn't mean to scare you. Sure we did. No harm done, right? Yeah, Jam clearly thinks that he is, like, the coolest guy in the graveyard. He does all of the cliche, like, thinks he's a cool guy things. Like, whenever he's making a joke, he'll slap the other person on the shoulder to get their attention. Or he'll, like, stand in front of everyone and stop them and hold his hands out. Like, he's being really showy, but in a very pushy sort of jerk way. He laughs at his own joke. He says, Oh, maybe we are ghosts. Ever seen Night of the Living Dead? <laughs> and has a good chortle at his own non-joke pop culture reference. <laughs> As they're walking through the graveyard with this girl, Dee Dee, Jam mentions that it's prom night, and he does this so that he can point out that there is allegedly a ghost in this cemetery who died on prom night sometime in the past for some unknown reason. No, no, no he explains. Does he? There was once a girl in this town who was waiting for a date on prom night when an errant car accidentally ran over her. Like, it was a foggy night and the car couldn't see where it was going, and so this young teenage girl was killed, like, on prom night. Oh, yeah, because he spe I remember specifically that he says that the car rounds a corner going too fast and hits her and he says some say that the driver was bombed which i think was them trying to make up a slang word for drunk i wondered what that, i mean he was boned i would say it's a pretty rough turn of fortune to run over a teenager some say the driver was boned let's just take a moment here to talk about jam's uh 
way of phrasing things because multiple times throughout this episode, he talks about how they're just having a goof. Hey, we're just having a goof. He says goof uh, as much as I do, which I appreciated. And that bothers me. (laughs) That's part of the reason I enjoy it. It sounds like what your grandparents would say. So there's this weird juxtaposition between the character that they're trying to portray and what they're allowed to get away with on television and the fact that this was written by Canadian adults. Is Canadian listeners write in uh, and let us know if goofs is a more acceptable <laughs> term for mischief or... You know what, Canadians, I, don't don't even write in. I don't want to know. I'm sure this is totally unfounded, but that's... Like, anytime something on this show seems quaint, I blame it not only on the fact that it's from the early 90s, but the fact that it's from Canada. Like, for some reason in my head, early 90s Canada was even tamer. And they were in some way a, a gentler people, which again is totally unfounded. But I'm just like, oh, they're just being sweet because they're Canadian. So all the now that all the characters have been introduced to one another, Jam, Greg, and Dee Dee decide they're going to fi- they're going to solve the mystery of the ghost of prom night. Specifically, Jam says, "Let's go ghost hunting, boys and ghouls." And somewhere, you hear the crypt keeper rolling over in his crypt. They decide that they want to know why her prom date never showed up, or they want to figure out what her unfinished business is. Like, they want to know if this actually happened. They want to know if there's any, like, historical basis for this legend, or if it's just something that, like, teenagers have been making up and passing down for generations. We get a quick scene of them going and eating ice cream together. Uh, Dee Dee declines a scoop of ice cream from Jam, which is important later on, I guess. Oh, yeah. Hmm. And then we cut to them at the library looking through microfiche. Yeah, she realizes that if, if they want to find the ghost then they need and prove that she's real, then they need to know her name, and then they need to find her tombstone in the cemetery. It's just the three characters looking through old newspaper. It says that they've, they looked through every newspaper from the 1950s on, which I initially thought meant they looked at all 365 papers for each year. <laughs> Until they found the one... Like, I assume they're only looking at the ones from, like... Around prom night, yeah. This is an interesting scene because the main purpose of it is to just dump a bunch of exposition on us. What's really funny about this is when they're looking through the microfiche, they're scrolling through, and they find the exact right one. And uh, sure enough, it says May 8th, 1956 or whatever. And the headline reads, Girl Hit by Car. And then in italics with an exclamation point, it says, On Prom Night! Like, even the news, even the journalists have found that to be the tragedy. Not that this young girl lost her life, but that she was in her prom dress and waiting for her prom date when it happened. That has become the theme of it to not just these kids, but to everyone, which I thought was great. Strangely, though, we see a picture of a bridge and a photograph underneath the headline of a young man. Yeah, rather than a picture of the girl. To make a long story short, we learned that, yes, there was in fact a girl killed by a car on prom night, and her date also died that very same night uh, when he was driving recklessly after learning of her death and accidentally drove off a bridge. We learn all this from the newspaper. It's kind of like in said the Tale of the Killer Clown. <laughs> Tale laughing in the dark. It's just a bunch of kids looking at old newspapers. To make this scene interesting, I guess, uh, the director has opted to intersplice the scenes of them at the, at the microfiche with scary music and shots of the doorknob turning in the background. At the very last minute, after they've once they've finished all of their exposition, and definitely not a moment sooner, the kids hear whatever is sneaking up behind them, and all three of them get panicked 
and the tense music builds, and then all of the sudden... Would you children like some tea? Like the oldest, sweetest librarian lady in the world comes into the microfiche room and offers them tea. Ha ha. Yeah, it, it was a fake out the whole time. It was a librarian who has come back into the microfiche room to offer tea to teenagers. Is that also a thing that happens, Canada? Falls in your court, Canada. This scene sort of speaks to the problem of this entire episode. Let's just get it out of the way right now. This episode is almost nothing but padding. This looks like a college, like, student film, where they got their douchebag friends to play, like, what few roles there are, and to stretch it out to, like, the minimum required time for, like, the project it was being made for. They just added in these scenes of nothing. Just long scenes of walking and long wordless stretches where you try to force tension upon a situation. That's definitely true. Like, this this librarian scene is pointless. But at the same time, I actually watched this episode with my niece a few years ago. And it that moment uh, was, I think, probably the only part of this episode she enjoyed. It was the only time that there was really any real scare happening and it ended on kind of a joke. So I think that was maybe fun for her as a, at the time she would have been five years old, I think. So for a five or six year old, that was the best part of the episode, which was otherwise just a lot of Kristen exposition. We next see the kids uh, walking away from the library. They're, just, they're having a good goof at each other's expense. Good comeback. No. And you were scared to death. Oh, like you weren't? Hey, I was cool. Yeah, sure. Now that they know about this boyfriend, Dee Dee decides that the best course of action is to reunite these two undead spirits. Yeah, she says that uh, if there's a ghost in the cemetery, then the ghost obviously has unfinished business. And it's very clear now that her unfinished business is she's waiting for her prom date to pick her up in the cemetery. So what they should do is find the wreckage of her boyfriend's car, hold a seance, wake up his ghost, and tell it to go pick up her ghost. It is implied during the scene that Greg... I don't know, did you read that he was developing sort of a crush on Dee Dee? Yeah, I feel like there was always sort of that implication in this episode. It starts... like, the episode starts with uh, Jam and Greg introducing themselves to Dee Dee, and Jam says that she should hang out with them because Greg thinks she's a babe. And then Greg punches Jam. Uh, And then there are always, like, these little moments of the two of them making eyes at each other and sort of grinning at each other throughout the episode. So I feel like that was probably a deliberate amount of sort of romantic tension that was being established. What do you say? I say that you're kind of a strange person. But I like that. So yeah, like you said, Dee, Dee proposes a seance. Neither guy objects to this too much. They're having a lot of fun with this crazy ghost hunt. It's a weird thing for them to do on prom night, or on the day of prom, right? I mean, shouldn't they be going to the prom? <laughs> These guys? No, 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 no. <laughs> These guys are not going to their prom or anyone's prom, ever. It's funny because, like, Greg sort of looks like this nice all-American guy. He's just a regular, like, very nice, pleasant dude. And I, he's not in any way a butthole, so I'm not sure why, instead of going to his prom, he's hanging out with Jam. But I guess that's what they're going to do on prom night, is hold a seance. I have to assume that his proximity to Jam has, has tainted him by association. Yeah. So we get a bit more padding. Fast forward to the three teenagers sitting in a boat underneath the bridge where, uh, what's his name? Ricky? Where Ricky, uh, the prom date, apparently drove his car into the water. 
have we we haven't even taken a moment to pause and talk about how silly it is that Ricky finds out his prom date got hit by a car and died and immediately drives off of a bridge. I really wish we could know more about Ricky in this episode because he seems like a pretty irrational guy. Like that's a horrible horrible thing that he's gone through, but he really sort of takes it to the next level, I think, by just driving off of a bridge. Well, we're, it's explained that it was an accident and that again, it was a foggy night and he was going too fast and he was upset about the death of his his date how can we know that that was an accident that sounds like convenient uh that sounds like convenient editing by the newspaper to say that he that it was an accident they were being kind to his family how do we know that ricky didn't just drive off of a bridge in a fit of rage that he like thelma and louise himself (laughs) i i'm just saying that it seems i've never well i mean i've never also had my prom date hit by a car but like I can't imagine being in any situation where my immediate response is I better get in my classic car and drive really really fast to deal with my grief. It was the 50s. Yeah, I guess that's maybe just what you did in the 50s. In Canada? Driving your classic car around. And I'm sure they referred to it as a classic car in the 50s. <laughs> Having your classic car around. My brand new. Was the only way for juvenile delinquents to to vent. Maybe. So, anyway, Ricky is now... That or, like, do the twist, or... I guess that was 60s. The Charleston, maybe? That was 30s? Do the Elvis. Yeah. So, Ricky now sits on the bottom of the lake, and the kids decide to, on prom night, take a boat out to the lake, uh, under the bridge, and hold a seance in a boat. Clear your minds. Try to imagine Ricky... There's not really a whole lot to explain here. The guy sit on either side of Dee Dee, and she conducts the seance where she tells them to imagine, imagine Ricky at the bottom of the lake in his car, grieving for his date. And as this is happening, you see burbling in the background. Like, there's clearly something trying to come out of the water. Like, some sort of sea monster burping or something. And they all, they all realize that this is happening. They see the bubbles, and I think it's Jam who says maybe it's a fish, or is it Greg? One of them's like, maybe it's just a fish. What was that? Bubbles from fish? Yeah, for as eager as they were to see a ghost, they immediately become skeptics. Uh, refusing to believe that this seance is working. Yeah, I guess if they if the kids saw it and just immediately said, oh my god, it's a ghost, that would sort of take away some of the tension or take away some of the mystery. So you make them deny it to make it seem more conflicted or more tense or more mysterious. Like, they're trying to maybe establish a mystery where there really isn't one. We all know that those bubbles are a ghost. Well, finally, after a few minutes of this, the source of the bubbles starts to chase after them, and they fire up the boat, and they crash it into the shore and jump out. The way that they do this is is overly dramatic because the boat at this point is it's not like next to the shore and they have to jump to clear the water. The boat is on dry land but each of the kids jumps from their position in the boat onto the grass and then falls over as though it was like a leap that they made. They're at such a safe spot that they have to do that. So it's a really funny moment to me. They bound onto the, the shore and the source of the bubbles keeps coming, coming, but it doesn't doesn't chase after them on land. No, it never surfaces. Whatever it is, uh, is under the water, and then it's not there at all. How much better would this episode have been if it had just been a sea monster? <laughs> like, if they'd gone to contact a ghost, and it turns out there's just a Nessie living in their lake. <laughs> that would have been a very How much better show. would that scene have been if they were waiting for the ghost car, 
and a giant plesiosaur just waddles onto shore and eats one of them. <laughs> just drags them back into the water while the other two sit with their jaws hanging. <laughs> you could even tie it in and say that he pulled Ricky into the water. <laughs> We cut back to the Midnight Society, and Kristen is standing there, like, in her ghost gown, all dramatic, and she's like, the end, and everyone just stares at her confused. <laughs> we cut back to the Midnight Society, and now she's in a plesiosaur costume. <laughs> <laughs> One of those with a fan inside of it to keep it inflated. <laughs> <laughs> is this funny? I can't you tell. See, you see, Gary just takes her aside, and, uh... <laughs> We don't see the conversation, but he comes back alone. <laughs> and we hear the sounds of someone in a plesiosaur costume slowly, sadly walking Shuffling away. Shuffling through the woods. Oh. 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 Give me a moment. So, um, after the after the sort of boat moment, we cut back to the Midnight Society. Uh, Kristen is in her gown outfit, and she's Let's not even talk about this. It's another pointless Midnight Society cutaway. Nothing happens. We go back to the story. Yep. Not a, not a particularly good cutaway. Sometimes they do it right, but not this time. The three teenagers have found the grave they were looking for. It's Judy Larson, the girl who was infamously killed on prom night. Uh, and now they're just waiting for her specter to return, as it does every prom night. If legend is to yes, be believed. Yes, allegedly. And sure enough, a ghostly figure crests the hill and starts making its way to the grave. Look. It's her. Oh man, it's her. Yeah, someone in like a white robe is approaching them. And Greg is not believing this shit. He walks up to the figure, uh, Jam tries to warn him, like, no, don't do it, it's a ghost. Uh, Does it anyway, and he finds another douchey male teenager who is dressed up in a lazy ghost costume with wind chimes. It is Jam's little cousin, Chuck. (laughs) Jam is laughing and pointing, and he's like, Oh man, I got you so good, I can't believe you fell for it. Guys, this is my cousin Chuck. And he's like trying to make fun of Greg as though he got him good. (laughs) Gotcha! It was awesome! I thought you were gonna have a cow! In this moment, Greg was not at all scared. Like, Greg walks up to the ghost and pulls its hood off. So this is a really forced moment from Jam. This is not one of his better goofs. Also, he's wearing the jacket from Thriller. I'm gonna hurt you. Greg is about to beat the shit out of Jam for this harmless goof, when suddenly something unexpected happens. Yeah, Dee Dee gets their attention and points out that there's a car coming, and uh, we get a shot of another uh, the road leading up to the cemetery, and it is covered in fog. There are, there are like multiple fog machines just rolling it in from different, you know, different areas, and we see headlights emerging. The guys assume this is just some kind of joke, but no, no. A pristine 1950-something classic Chevy Cadillac car pulls up to the grave and comes to a stop. And it's blaring, like, the most generic 50s slow dance music you've ever heard. The boys are watching this, and they say, uh, Dee Dee? And the next shot we see is of Dee Dee, but now she's taking her hair down and walking towards the car, and she's in a beautiful prom gown. Yeah, through the magic of editing, she changes from her, like, regular outfit into a beautiful gown. 
and it's revealed that she was the ghost all along. Ooh. Yeah, Dee Dee reveals that Dee Dee is her nickname, and her real name is Judy, and she thanks the boys for helping her, and explains that the only way she could leave the cemetery is if someone escorted her out. And so the boys saved her by helping her drag them to the library and drag them out on a boat to wake up her ghost boyfriend. I knew you'd be the ones from the moment I saw you. You see, I couldn't leave the cemetery unless someone brought me with them. And then you solved the mystery of why Ricky never picked me up and got him to come. The boys look confused by this. Ghost boyfriend Ricky gives them a thumbs up, and then he drives away. (laughs) Ghost boyfriend Ricky doesn't say a word during this. He just gives them, like, a thumbs up and the nod. Yeah. (laughs) And then puts his arm around Like the cool, cool 50s guy he is. Not at all the irrational dope who drove a car off a bridge. Not at all the plesiosaur we've been led to believe. I will. The one good thing I will say about this episode is I really like the the shot at the very end of Kristen's story, where we see the car pass through the gates of the cemetery. Yeah, and I liked it because they didn't add any sort of like goofy sound effect. Yeah, as this non-corporeal car passes through these metal gates, it just phases through the gates and disappears. Kristen concludes the story, everyone says good job, the end. It's funny to me, like, everyone's... Rockin' Awesome theme music. Everyone (laughs) looks bored as the Rockin' Awesome theme music starts. Gary doesn't even know how to conclude things. He's just like, everyone have a good night, meeting adjourned. (laughs) And then he just, like, pours water on the fire. Let's let's talk very briefly about this episode. I mean, this ep- this is less an episode than it is just a prolonged twist. This episode, to me, feels the most like a traditional ghost story that we've gotten. We've had episodes that included ghost stories, like The Tale of the Lonely Ghost, which was awesome. You know, that was a story about some kids telling a ghost story, going into a haunted house, and saving a ghost. It's a good one. And we've had episodes that were totally off the mark, like the tale of the Phantom Cab and the tale of Jake and the Leprechaun, where it's just wall-to-wall weirdness and no real coherency. This is the only episode that actually feels like if you were sitting around a fire telling ghost stories, this would be one of the ghost stories you tell. It doesn't feel like kids telling an episode of a TV show. It feels like a kid telling a campfire ghost story. And... That's kind of interesting, even though it doesn't translate very well into an episode. There's only one question left to ask. Yeah? Were you scared of this shit? The answer is no but. And the but is... There were no buts in this episode. (laughs) I wasn't scared of it, but there were no buts. I I I, I never watched this episode as a kid. I wasn't scared of it as an adult. It doesn't have the imagery that the tale of the dark music has. You know, I'm not going to compare this to Stephen King. But I do think that uh, the scene in the library was very well done. And actually the first maybe half a second that Kristen is walking out of the woods when the episode opens, before it looks like a costume, like before she steps into the light and she just looks like a phantom, there's a very brief moment where it looks pretty good. I feel like if I had not been trying to make light of this episode while I was watching it with my niece, she probably would have been scared up to a point. Um, it, it has a happy ending, so it's not like it's even a scary episode overall, 
But I feel like there are enough scary moments that if you were watching this with a kid, maybe it would freak them out a little bit. I was obviously not scared of this shit. This is not a scary episode. Like, it's not designed to be a scary episode. Again, this was a story built around a twist, and in some respects, it succeeds to that end. But not a scary episode, and not the strongest episode. So, we're nearing the end. We're one episode away from the end of Season 1 of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Eli, tell us what we have to look forward to in this uh, season finale. That's right. In episode 13, we will be watching The Tale of the Pinball Wizard, directed by DJ McHale, executive producer on the series, and written by Louis Lamar. Uh, this episode first aired on November 14th, 1992, and is going to be, I believe, our second Gary episode. Our first one was The Tale of the Super Specs, which we both really liked, so I'm kind of excited about this. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Until then, remember, follow us on social media. Facebook.com slash you scared of this shit. Twitter.com slash you scared of this. I guess the only thing left is to declare this episode of you scared of this shit closed. We'll see you all next week. Pleasant dreams, everyone. Bubble, bubble, bubble. Car under a river. Bubble, bubble. <laughs> Luck Ness monster noises.